0: I'm Robin Amler of IBS Intelligence. You're listening to the IBSI Views podcast. My guest today is Paul Mountford, Chief Executive Officer at Protegrity, And we speak as GDPR celebrates, it celebrates, if celebrates is the word, its fifth anniversary. Is it indeed a happy anniversary, Paul?
1: You know, I think it is. It's a bit mixed because GDPR was the right thing to do. You know, it got a lot right? But probably not enough and uh, uh, you know a new revised framework is needed i think in order to get the absolute best from it now the thing that really has been a, a challenge is that you know businesses need to be able to see the free flow of data in order to you know innovate and grow and serve their customers as we see regulation and data privacy rules sort of coming up about in more frequency from every country on the planet quite the opposite is happening clearly, it needs some revision in order to make sure that the promise of digitalization still is feasible with many of these big multinational companies.
0: You mentioned the need for a new framework. We have to look further afield. We have to be more all-encompassing, don't we?
1: No, we do because the the problem is it's a bit like some of the politics we see globally where you know people are talking about just their national protection or their national position. And protecting their national interest of course that's really important but it has to be done in line with the global economy there's nothing today in business or even in personal use uh, that doesn't require uh, or need international consistency particularly in these kind of standards to protect your data wherever you go on the planet wouldn't it be nice if you had the same protection wherever you went and so you can't look at it just as a, a simply a national issue
0: The problem is what data we classify and how we classify it. And I'm going to take a run at saying this. We should be talking, I guess, about
1: pseudo-anonymized data as well. We should, because it's something, obviously, I know a lot about, because that's what my business is. But, um, you know, there's been a ruling just recently from the EU uh, General Court Uh, that made the decision to say that um, we're big fans of it, of course, because it steers very clearly into the technology areas we we provide. But the ruling is very business friendly. It it effectively says that if you pseudo-anonymize your data, then it doesn't any longer become a challenge for you to share that data because you've protected it. So in other words, as long as your data is pseudo-anonymized, you can cross borders with it and you can share it because it's protected for us that's really important because if you think about how i mean we talk about and i know on other podcasts you've done you know you've talked a lot about cybersecurity and you've talked about you know the vast amounts of money that get spent in cybersecurity to protect infrastructures and you know applications and all these good things that's great but you the fundamental thing is you have to protect the data at the back of all of that because it's when people break through and effectively if you believe everything we hear on this just about everyone you know so at some point you're going to get broken through what do people find And if the data is tokenized it can't be used and so that's effectively what this ruling does it says if you pseudo anonymize that data just the sensitive stuff then the other data can be used and that's the promise of digitalization i mean you know in the industry i work in you know that was 15 years ago digitalization was the thing you know it meant that you could use all the data in your company for benefit to serve your customers get broader productivity get better efficiencies uh, share data with people for collaborating i mean how quicker would we have got a pandemic solution if we'd been able to collaborate with all the research but we didn't because everybody closed down on a lot a lot of times on national boundaries for the research climate control is a current one if we could share data everywhere, maybe we'd get some solutions around that in a quicker fashion. And just general commerce trading everywhere around the planet on a consistent basis would be great. GDPR, as you know, is, a, is more of a European a regulation. You know, you need a global one.
0: We may need a global GDPR or GDPR equivalent, but who looks after it then on a global basis? Do we need
1: to set up new intra-governmental organizations? I think there is probably a methodology, a technology methodology that could be adopted by everyone to say that if this standard is met, just like any international standard, and it has to be an international standards body that would put it forward. But you, you have uh, governments, you know, uh, aligned to it. Um, you know that massive uh, breach they had in the US just recently, with a twenty-one-year-old had access to incredibly sensitive data, could never have happened if there had been a, a general policy around uh, data security if we could do that uh, we could get a standard uh, for the for pseudonymized technology for example Uh, we know that whenever any breaches were made the data would be protected but just the sensitive stuff so the other the other data can be used for effective use for anything really
0: Well, there is a big picture here, and you've touched on some of the issues in terms of the critical applications. You mentioned climate change, you mentioned tracking the pandemic or tackling the pandemic. There is an overall economic impact to
1: data sharing, isn't there? If you data share, then you have a much higher productivity rate than you do if you don't. And, in fact, it impacts global commerce and the growth of global commerce if you can't share data. Yeah, just uh, as a matter of interest, a one-point increase in data restrictiveness cuts gross trade output by 7% and slows productivity by 2.9%. And that's the ITIF information. So if we're able to share data, you see, most people look at data security as closing down or encrypting. Encryption is really going out of fashion because the problem with encryption is you lock it away in a vault. It's like putting your your children down in the cellar and not allowing them to come up and, and communicate with you. might be a benefit to some people, but clearly that's not what we want from our children. It's a bit like that with data. If you encrypt it, you can't use it. You lock it down. And so what we really want to do is protect our sensitive elements of our data, like, for example, our social security, the last four digits of the number, or maybe our bank account details, we can certainly share the rest of the data, so then, therefore, you know, trending and analytics, which are really important for most companies to know what their customers are doing in order to make a better experience for those customers, can, you can share that data. But at the same time, you don't want to release really sensitive data to share in that environment. You just want to find out where the, the, key, the key information is in order to make some decisions. So sharing data is by far the most important thing, assuming that you've got some good data protection on the sensitive areas. So it doesn't just become about life insurance policy. It becomes about how expansive and how useful that data becomes uh, as the new oil in currency for companies.
0: UNCTAD recently suggested that 71% of countries have some data protection regulations in place. Another 9% have legislation in development. Similar kind of regulations, but still not the same. You, we've been talking about the benefits of yeah. cross-border data flows. Mm-hmm. How do we sell those benefits to regulators, to governments, so that they make sensible decisions about what needs to be protected, what needs to be held within national areas? Because this is well, uh, I you institutions think, uh, run up against.
1: Right. I think governments need to have the frameworks and be clear about that for their data privacy rules. I, I, I get that. I think institutions and you know big financial institutions should also, and they do, of course, because that's the purpose of the regulation now, uh, have their own data privacy rules that they apply to that. But because you can't stay on top of everything going on everywhere in the planet at, at any one time, one of the things that we have in our technologies you know, is a central policy engine which can be an algorithm. So effectively, in the future, what we're looking to do is to set you know, data privacy rules as part of the algorithm. So for example, you look at the data type, you look at the data privacy rules that pertain to a particular country and the role or the people that would have access to it and, you, and any other attribute, and you combine it in the algorithm. So it knows that if that data is ever going to go to, I don't know, let's just say Japan, for example, when that data arrives, it, get, it can only get through passport control if it's protected in the way that Japan lays those rules out. When it comes back the other way and it goes back into the UK, let's say, uh, same thing. It has to go through customs and then you know passport control applies the rules there. So the technology has a lot to do with that. And that's clearly the business I'm in and we're trying to make that happen as soon as as we can. We can do cross-border today, but we're trying to get it so we can bring all the data privacy rules in on that policy engine as well so that customers can set it up and do it. Another challenge that data security has is that we push too much of the protection out to people who feel uncomfortable to do it. For example, a lot of applications, SaaS applications, that you find in every industry you know, push that thing out to our phones when we pick it up. And we look, if we want to get this data, we've then got to press this button to say we accept. But we don't really know what we're accepting. We often don't want to read through the eight pages of information to to accept it. And, and even if
0: reads read the small
1: print. Right. And if you need it that minute, what do you do? You go accept and you go through it. You'd be surprised how little protection there is in the private sector in certain industries. Uh, and Even the big cloud providers often provide masking and they say, we'll protect our own infrastructure. But it's your responsibility for the data you send us so that your responsibility is on you. So I think having... A technology would uh, allow you um, to uh, pseudo-anonymize, which is a a consistent generic tokenization, a fine-grained tokenization method. It effectively takes your data, makes it gobbledygook, and you can't break into it. So unless you've got the key, you can't get into that. That data then can be sent anywhere else, and only if the key's available on the other side can they open it. If they can't, they can see the data that's non-sensitive, they can apply any analytics or any anything else they want to it and send it back. And then the recipient then has the key, can reopen it. And then they can reopen it and see the analytic work that was done and use that data. So it protects everybody through a kind of a passport control. And as you know, every country has different um, customs uh, uh, regulations. But effectively, um, you know, your passport is seen as that, in, that thing that will allow you to go in and out of all of those different places. And that's kind of what you have to do with data security.
0: And on that moving moment, we will draw to a close. Paul Mountford, Chief Executive Officer of Protegrity, Thank you very much.